0: Lord, you truly are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored. Father, as we go to your word right now, we ask that you would be our teacher. Lord, we come humbly, broken, and desperate before you. You're a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 9, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Take a few minutes to catch up. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one. So. Get one, alright? Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Amen? Alright. Well, Judges 9. If you're a note-taker, I'm going to give you a title and three points to the message. I had, I had absolutely planned on teaching this entire chapter. It is not going to happen. It's 57 verses, and uh, it's just not going to happen. When I get to a certain number of pages of notes, I know it's time to stop, or you will all be dead when church is over. So, um, I figure we'll stop about halfway through tonight. Now, I titled the message, My Kingdom Come. And we'll see why in a moment. But over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a man in the Bible, a man who is in God's hall of faith, a man who the Lord referred to as a mighty man of valor. But we, as we've seen, these titles are really a reflection of God's grace because he focuses on this guy's successes, not his failures. Many people maybe haven't studied a lot of the Bible. You hear his name, you think, oh, yeah, he's in the hall of faith. He was a pretty awesome guy. If you've been here the last three weeks, you know not so much. man's name was Gideon, and he was a warrior, and he was certainly used mightily by God, and we know that he is a mighty man of valor, because God says so, and God's always right. And we know that he's a man of faith, because he's in the hall of faith. But Gideon's walk with God may be a reflection of how some of our walks with God, people in the room tonight. He had an up and down walk. Maybe some of you are this way. You have great faith, then you have great fear. Maybe you're on fire for God for a while, and then the fire flames out. Maybe you have times of deep devotion, and then you have times of despair and doubt. A man whose actions would seem to destine him more for the hall of the faithless than the hall of faith. And you know what? God uses this guy mightily, and it should be an encouragement to every single one of us. One thing you want to remember about him is he began as a coward. You know, he really was. In chapter 6, he's hiding. His name means warriors. Warriors don't hide. Warriors fight. But he was hiding. And then when the Lord even showed up and appeared to him and called him a mighty man of valor and told him to go out and fight the enemy and that he was going to give him the victory, he still said, I don't not so much. I don't think so. I don't want to do that. And he said, but Lord, if, if you're really God then, then, and you really mean what you say, then he tested the Lord. And it cracks me up that God is so gracious with us, isn't he? Because we test God and He, instead of just smoking us on the spot, He, you know what I mean, he, he, like, God, if you're really right, then show me. Well, duh, He's always right. But here we have Gideon repeatedly testing God, putting a fleece out. Sometimes I hear people say that like they're doing some great act of faith. It is not a great act of faith to put out a fleece. It is an act of faithlessness to put out a fleece. I'm putting out a fleece to make sure that God is right in what He's told me so far. We don't need to do that, amen? But we know that that's what Gideon did. Everything Gideon did, he had to be told repeatedly by God. Does anybody here identify with him at all? He had to be told repeatedly by God. Even when he obeyed God, the first thing he did is, is he said, go up and tear down your father's idols and tear down his altar. And he did it, but when did he do it? Who remembers? He did it at night so nobody would see him. Okay, Lord, I'll serve you as long as nobody sees me. Lord, I'll be on fire for you as long as I don't have to have anybody else know that I'm saved. You know, is this kind of a mentality of doing it under the cover of darkness. But the Word of God says, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Well, eventually he went from a doubter to a deliverer, from a coward to a conqueror, because after setting the fleece up before God, he then said, okay, Lord, I'll go fight the battle. And as we know, he had 32,000 men in his army. He blew the trumpets. 32,000 guys showed up. And when they went out to fight, they looked out into the valley and saw 135,000 guys. And then the Lord said, I'm really going to prove to you, Gideon, that I'm God. Here's what I'm going to do. You have too many people in your army. So you tell the guys who are afraid to go home, 22,000 guys went home. He's got 10,000 left. Now 13 and a half to one. Then he then takes them to Gideon Springs, what is now known as Gideon Springs, right? And they go there and he says, whoever dips down and you've set them this side. And those who put the water to their mouth, put them on this side. And now his army was 300 guys. Went from 3 to 1 to 13 to 1 to 450 to 1. Now God said, okay, now I can use you. Because now you'll know that it's me that does it. Because if you're strong and you're powerful, you might think that you're just really good warriors. But when it's 300 against 135,000, you'll know it's God. And by the way, to make sure you know it's me... You're not going to use any weapons right away. What you're going to do instead is use pitchers and trumpets to fight 135,000 guys with swords and shields. Now, you've got to have great faith to go down that mountain, amen? But even then, again, God had told him, so he sends a spy down and a, or he actually goes down himself and he hears them having a, a discussion about a dream that God had delivered them into the hands of, of Gideon, the Midianites, And so when the Lord told them at night, he went down, they broke the pitchers, a light shone out, they were blowing trumpets, and the Midianites were fooled into thinking each of these 300 men was leading a battalion, because usually only the guys in the front blow a trumpet. And they were so panicked when the lights came down, that they started fighting each other, and as we know, they started to kill each other. Then, after that happened, the 300 men chased the rest of the men, about 20,000 that were left, and they chased them until they basically had killed them all. Now Gideon went from a faithless man, a coward, to a man of great faith, because God continued to reveal himself to him. Guys, you want your faith to grow? Spend more time in God's presence, amen? Faith is not a movable object, it's not faith in faith, it's faith in Christ, amen? Faith is only as valuable as the object that we place it in. So Gideon, having won the battle, defeating the Midianites, we get to chapter 8 from last week. And now he goes from being a conqueror to being a compromiser. And this should be, uh, again, a warning to all of us, because what happened to Gideon at this point was now the people started to sing his praises. He went from this guy in hiding to a guy that God used, and now everybody's telling him, Gideon, you're awesome. And he starts listening, really? I think so. Yeah, you're really awesome. As a matter of fact, we want to make you king. We want to make you king and all your sons after you king. And you know what? Gideon answers Right. He says, no, 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 I'm not king, God is king. I will not let anybody bow to me, I will never rule. But then what happened last week, right after he said that, what did he do? Who remembers? He started acting like a king. He said, I don't want to be the king, but you know, you could bring me some gold. You could bring me like an offering of gold. I mean, you know, after all, a is worthy of his hire, and you know, I did, I did some good work, so bring me some gold. Well, they brought him 70 pounds of gold, valued today at about $720,000, and so he's got gold, that's what kings have, so he had wealth. Then he turned that, that gold into a golden ephod, which is a priestly garment, and he set it up in his hometown, and people were coming there and began to worship it. You know, he took the place of a priest as well, a position of religious authority that many kings did also. And so now the people around him are playing the harlot with this golden ephod, and they're worshiping it. And many believe that he did it because it had previously been in the area of the Midianites, where people went to worship, or Ephraimites, excuse me, and he didn't want them to go there. He wanted them to come to his town, so he set up this golden ephod. And before you know it, the people had turned to idolatry. Well, then lastly, we also saw that he did something else. He multiplied wives for himself, which is something else that kings do. And we don't know how many wives, it just says many wives. And he had enough wives to have 70 sons. I don't know how many daughters he had, but he had 70 sons. And then on top of all of his wives, he had at least one concubine who had a son by the name of Abimelech. And to prove that he thought he was the king, he named Abimelech means my dad is king. I don't want to be the king, but give me some gold. I don't want to be the king, but I'm going to have a priestly garment. I don't want to be the king, but I'm going to multiply wives. I don't want to be the king, but my son's name is my father is king. His actions spoke louder than his words, didn't they? Now, why am I taking all this time to talk about Gideon? Because we're going to look at Abimelech this morning or this evening. Excuse me. Let me tell you why. Because I want us to all understand that our actions often will even outlast our lifetime. Guys, the fruit of the way that we live our lives not only impacts people now, but will impact the generations after us if the Lord chooses to tarry. Guys, our actions are not to be taken lightly. Our walk with the Lord is not something that we we just tiptoe through and and think it's not a big deal. It's huge and it's eternal. Amen? And so we see here this, this picture of Gideon and at the end of the chapter, Gideon's dead. He's dead. But his son Abimelech, is going to follow some patterns he learned from his father. And sadly, they're not good ones. And so, we know that Gideon could not control his lust. Gideon went a-whoring after women, and as soon as he died, so did the children of Israel, because they went right back into worshiping idols. And Gideon's actions would have a horrendous impact even long after he died. And a key point here is that our prideful and willful rebellion against God's clear commands not only impacts our walk, but will impact those that come behind us. So the title of the message tonight is My Kingdom Come. And we're going to watch as Gideon's son takes the example to the next level. And he will make no pretense, even pretend like he's seeking the Lord's will. He's going to do the things his dad did, but he's not even going to pretend like he's not. You know, Gideon said, I don't want to be king. Then he acted like a king. Abimelech is going to say, yeah, I want to be king. My, dad's, my dad was the king. I mean, he may have not said he was, but that's how he acted. And you know what? I'm going to follow his pattern. And that's why I titled the message, My Kingdom Come. You know, we know though there's a great prayer where it says, Thy Kingdom Come. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, right? But sadly, much of the world lives. My kingdom come. My will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, Right? We're focused on ourselves, but we need to, it's not thy will, but my will. And we'll also see that one man's fleshly and self-centered actions are going to impact not only him, but all who follow him. So if you're taking notes, we're going to have three points. We're going to look at two of them tonight, one next time. My kingdom come. First, we're going to see the depths of depravity of a man who will, how far a man will sink in order to get his will. It's amazing how far man will go to get his own will. To get his desires done. It's tragic. And we're going to see that tonight. Secondly, we're going to see that when we're walking in the center of our own will, we're going to see that God loves us enough to give us a divine warning. So we're going to see the depths of man's depravity and going after his own will, and then God's divine warning to those who are living outside of his will. God is a loving and a gracious God. And then next week, or next time, we'll see the downfall of the man driven by his flesh. So we're going to see that depths of depravity and then God's gracious and divine warning and then the downfall of man driven by his own flesh. Let's begin in verse 1, looking at the depths of depravity that a man will sink to in order to fulfill his own fleshly desires. You know what? We're going to see these things described, but I wrote down three things I believe describe a man or a woman. You know what happens? You get to the point where you think about nobody else but yourself. You don't care about anybody else but you. It's all about me. Second, you focus only on your immediate gratification with no thoughts of the potential consequences down the road. All you're thinking about is how does this care for me now? I don't care how it impacts me later. I'm not. You know. And you know what? Children act that way, and we should not act that way as Christians. Amen. But sadly, many of us do. So let's begin in verse one, and it says there. This is right after the death of Gideon then Abimelech the son of Jeroboam went to Shechem now Abimelech means again my father is king Jeroboam is the name given to Gideon by his father after he went and tore down the altars to Baal remember that he tore the altars down and he tore down the idols and then the next morning the people he had got ten guys to help him and they said who did this and everybody said it was Gideon and they said let's kill him and then his own father stood up and said hey if Baal's God, let Baal kill him. If Baal's real, then let Baal defend himself. So Jerub Baal means contender of Baal. And that became Gideon's name to many people from that point forward. He was a contender of Baal. He now fought against the idols that were in the land at that time. And praise the Lord for that type of a name. Contender of Baal. Then it says there he went to Shechem to his mother's brothers. Now, Abimelech is the son of, of Jeroboam, the son of Gideon, as we're going to see in the, in the next few verses, he was born of the concubine. He was not one of, I don't know how you even define legitimate sons when he got more than one wife, I don't know how that works, but he was not one of his wife's kids, he was a, a child by a concubine, and they're all illegitimate after the first wife, by the way, Amen? So the point is that it's not the children's fault, though, it's the parents' fault. And the point is that this child was born, and his name is, you know, my father is king, and he was born in Shechem, separate from where all of his brothers grew up, his 70 brothers. He was raised somewhere different. It looks like he went in and spent some time with his father. And now he goes back to the land where his mom was, and his mom's family in Shechem. Now Shechem was a city made up of both Jews and Shechemites and since his father was a Jew and his mother was a Shechemite he has a desire to be king and he thinks who can I go to to get, rouse up some support? I'll go to people that I can relate to everybody there. Some of them are Shechemites, well I'm a Shechemite some of them are Jews, well I'm a Jew too and I can relate to all of them. This guy's a great politician. First thing he does, he tries to find somebody who can identify with him and then he's going to go and tell them what they want to hear. I'll tell you what, this guy would have been a great candidate for senator or president. And you're going to see this as we go on, because he's really all about himself, but he has a good way of making other people think that he's all about them. And we're going to see this guy is so self-centered. And you know what, this city was a significant religious city since the time of Abraham. It was located, if you guys have been coming in the valley between two, little, two mountains or high hills called Gerizim and Ebal. And if you remember that this is where they went and they had one side they were announcing curses for sin and the other side blessings for obedience. you remember this? And in the middle was this city of Shechem. It was right there in the center of it. This is also the place where Joshua renewed Israel's covenant with God. And it's the same place where Moses again had brought the children of Israel into cursing and blessing. So this was a a place that God had used previously. It was a place where Joshua had renewed their covenant with the Lord. But sadly, it had become an idolatrous city. What happened? Gideon died. Remember we talked about this. Seven cycles and judges in a 400 year period of time. Serving God, walking with God judge deliverer dies soon as he dies not very long and they're back into idolatry after being in idolatry some amount of time they get sent by god or he allows someone to come in and bring them into bondage they're in bondage for a while they cry out to god and repent god restores them by using a deliverer they start walking with god again and it starts all over now some of you may say that sounds like my life you know walking with god on fire for god sold out for god And then things go a little sideways and I don't really like what's happening and I just kind of go back to my old life for a little while and then I find myself in the gutter. I find myself struggling and now I repent and I get right with the Lord. Guys, that is not that. Now, God is gracious enough to continue to love us through that cycle but that's not God's plan for the Christian. Amen? His desire that we would walk in the center of His will. We do sin. We do blow it but the difference is now that the conviction should be immediate and when there should be constant times of restoration to our Father. But we're going to see that he goes to his family and approaches his mom's family not to minister to them, not to rebuild a lost relationship, but because he's a selfish man with great ambition and he desires to build up some allies in his pursuit of being king. After his father's death, he decided that he should be the king. Now we don't see anywhere in the Bible that God told him this because guess what? God didn't. Who is the king right now over Israel at this point? God is. Is there a better king than God? Absolutely not. Wouldn't you, and I've said this before. Wouldn't you love God to be president? How good would that be? God's president. Man, I would love that. It would just be so awesome. You could veto everything or you change everything. It would be awesome. It would be incredible. Here's the point, though. They had God as president. They had God as king. And now Abimelech says, well, my dad was kind of acting like the king. And he was parading himself like the king and he had the wealth of the king, and I'm his son, and my name means my father is king, maybe I'm supposed to be king. And you know, if you're self-centered, king's pretty good, right? King's as good as it gets. So Abimelech decides he wants to be king, but he knows I'm going to need some help. So moved, no doubt, by these fleshly desires, and as well as his father's ungodly actions, we see him now setting out a plan to somehow become king. Now, he breaks the 10th commandment here. Who knows what the 10th commandment is for extra bonus points? Thou shalt not... That's good, very good, amen, all right. Since they all begin that way. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions, or thou shalt not covet, okay? Here's the point. We're not to covet. We're not to desire something that belongs to somebody else that is not ours, that God has not given to us. By the way, Christianity's not a competition. Amen. Too many people act like it is. We're not competing with each other. We're family, and we don't strive for position, and we're not coveting. And oh, I wish I had your gift. And you, uh, let it go. Be the person God's called you to be. Amen. We don't need two Billy Grams. We need one Billy Graham and you. Amen? Amen. And the gifts God's given you, because you're unique, and God has created you in His image, and He's created you to be a part of a local body, and He wants to use you for His glory. And so here we see Abimelech desiring and coveting the position of king that belonged to God. You know, that reminds me of somebody else. Who said, I will ascend into heaven? Lucifer. I will turn him from an angel into the devil. I will. Guys, not I will, thy will. Amen? And here we have Abimelech. I will be the king. I will also, it was, it was uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember that story. He says, is this not the great Babylon I have built? What happened to him? He turned into an animal. He started eating grass and got down on all fours and had big claws. It's in the Bible, Daniel chapter 4, read it, okay? And so what happens when we start elevating I, down we go. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. You exalt yourself, he'll humble you. Amen? The only way up is down. Amen? And so you see this point that Abimelech is elevating himself. He's following his dad's pattern. He's saying, I want to be the king. Yeah, that sounds good, king. So I'm going to go to my guys, and I'm going to enlist some help. Matthew 23 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now look what he says. So he goes to the house of his mother's father, saying, verse 2, Please speak in the hearing of the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam reign over you, or that one reign over you? Now, what's better, having 70 guys that you don't know, that live in another land, reign over you, or your brother? You know me, right? I'm your brother. I'll hook you up, okay? I'll take good care of you guys right you know me and so why don't you would you rather have 70 guys you don't know now by the way this is not a choice that anybody needed to make because God was king and he's making it sound like oh it's gonna be 70 guys in a faraway land that you've never met or me and if it's me I'll hook you guys up I'll take really good care of you I'll pass that zoning law that you want so you could build your building you know what I mean I'll get you know it's making these political deals on the side so that I can be what I want is king and I love how he says, "Which is better for you?" Do you think he really cared what was better for them? He could care less what was better for them. We're going to find out later in the chapter that they become enemies because he had one agenda: his, my will, my plan, my desires. And so he goes to his family and says, "Let me, let me be the king. And, and here's your choices: which is better for you? Concern not for Shechem, but acquiring the allies." that he would need to make a run for king. Not really which is better for you, but which is better for me. And again, that corruption in politics that we see continuing on today to get the position of power he desired, he would promise anything. I'll say anything. Have you ever noticed, you know what drives me nuts more than anything? And this will drive you nuts a lot because it happens all the time. Politicians that flip-flop on their position based on what's more popular right? Just makes you a prostitute. You know, you can be bought and sold for, as long as they pay you more, you'll go there. You know, we need people of character and principle, amen? You know what, this is what God says, that's what we're doing. I don't care if anybody agrees with that or not, and you know what, you'd never win an election that way, amen? But I praise God that someone would raise up and do that. Abimelech's the guy of, I'll go with wherever the money's at. I'll go with whoever will support me. I'll tell them whatever they need to be told. Just let me be the king. And then he says, which is better for you? And then, 70 should reign over you. 70, the sons of Jeroboam, guys you've never even met, reign over you. Or one, remember that I am your own flesh and bone. Remember, I'm one of you. Now what's amazing to me, who's he speaking against? Who are these 70 guys? His what? His brothers. This is the down, one of the many, many downsides to polygamy. Because these guys have separate moms and the same dad, and so they have different passions, even though they're brothers. They have a different agenda. They're separated from each other. Instead of being like-minded with the same mom and dad, they've got a totally different perspective on life. Why? Because of polygamy and the sin of their father, Gideon. Seventy foreigners or one brother, verse 3. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Guess what? He stirred up a political team. And his uncles went out and started telling everybody in Shechem, Hey, have you heard? Abimelech's running for king. Here's a button, you know, or whatever, right? Abimelech's running for king, and you know what? Do we want to be ruled by 70 guys, sons of Gideon, or one of our own? You know Abimelech? You know, remember, he used to run around town here. You remember, oh yeah, let's vote. Yeah, well, you know what? Let's help him become the king. And so he got all the people of Shechem together to stand behind Abimelech. Guys, it doesn't matter how many people stand behind you if you're going contrary to the will of God. Amen? We think it's a popularity contest. Well, if more people agree with it, then it must be okay. I don't care how many people vote that abortion is okay, it's murder. Amen? I don't care how many people vote for same-sex marriage. I don't care how many people vote for any of this stuff. It's not how many people vote for it that makes it okay. It's what the Word of God says. And so we see here that he's rousing up this crowd of people behind him to somehow make it look like, okay, he's got some authority. He's got some people backing him up. And they went around and stirred up the people of Shechem. Second half of the verse there says, Hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. Verse 4. So they gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of baal Bereth. This proves that Shechem is completely sold out to idolatry. Gideon's gone, and this land that was once a godly place that God had used so mightily is now completely, totally caught up in idolatry. So where does he raise funds from? From the idol worshippers. Idol He's getting money out of the temple of a false god to use to help him run for king. So he's pandering to idolaters to run for king. Do we see anywhere in here so far that Abimelech's saying anything about God? Any thought about God? None whatsoever. Abimelech doesn't care what God thinks. My kingdom come. My will be done. It's about me and what I want. And so we see here that Abimelech has raised up these people to to get behind him. He's raised up this Chest of money. He had no concern for God's will or input. He didn't care about any of it. All he wanted to do was to be king at whatever price. Breaking of the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, caused him to break the first two. First commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Second commandment is, thou shalt serve no graven image. And when you take money from a bunch of idolaters and then use it, to promote yourself, what you've said is, I have nothing to do with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've, I am now a follower, a worshiper of Baal. So coveting worldly things cause him to turn his eyes away from God, and that's a pattern you see throughout the Bible, and that's a pattern you see throughout the world today. You start coveting worldly things, you're going to take your eyes off of God. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so he accepted this money from Baal worshippers to finance his crusade. And now, at this point, he's basically made a public announcement that he's a follower of Baal. But ultimately, Abimelech's God was himself. It was himself. It's all about me. Fulfilling his desires at any cost. Look what it says he did with the money. It doesn't prove what a scoundrel this guy is. Look what he does. With which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men. So he gets money from the idol worshippers, and he hires a bunch of thugs. And says, hey guys, I got some money. I got 70 pieces of silver I got from Baal worship, and I want to take this, and I'll give you some money. If you guys will go with me, I got this plan. And you get, by the way, are you really a follower if someone's paying you to do it? Not so much. You're a hireling, amen? He doesn't have any followers. He's got hirelings. He's promised some people, hey I'm one of your homies, you know, vote for me, you know, get me in office, help me to be king, I'll take care of you guys. Then he hires a bunch of guys to go with him to go up and attack his own brothers. This is so tragic what can happen. He uses devil money to hire thugs to help him in his treachery, hit men to kill his own family. A work begun under the name or the influence of the devil will never honor God. And Abimelech putting his faith in his own power and might that, with which he could buy. You know, the Bible says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, and we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen? Some trust in thugs and who we can buy and the power that we have and the might that we have and the physical strength that we have. And this is Abimelech to a T. He's going to go up with physical strength. It's interesting that the, produ- the prophet Habakkuk described these people as guilty men whose own strength is their God. Who's their God? Their strength. They put their faith in their own strength, their own bank account, their own ability. Guys, that will fail you every time. Verse 5. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbaal, on one stone. You know what? Breaking of the 10th covenant led to breaking of the first and second. No other gods before me and no graven image. And now it leads to the breaking of the sixth commandment as well, thou shalt not murder. The Bible tells us that murders, murderers will inherit hell fire. That's what it says. Can we be forgiven for murder? What's the answer? Absolutely. We can be forgiven for any sin, and aren't you glad? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But we see that he goes up and he kills all 70 of his brothers. And notice the way he killed them. They were all killed on one stone. You know what that means? That means they were all killed the same way. This means they were killed in a ritualistic way. It means he brought the thugs in. He got a hold of his brothers. No doubt. Can you imagine your brother comes in to see you? Hey, how's it going? Oh, Abel, like, how you been? They all come out to give him a hug and greet him, and then all the thugs grab him. And they bring him out and put him on one stone. I don't know if he lopped their heads off or what he did, but probably. And he lay them out one at a time on the same stone, and he killed them all ritualistically killing his brothers again whose will is he after he doesn't care who gets in his way he doesn't care who gets hurt it's all about me I want to be king if everybody has to die to do it so be it if I have to kill my 70 brothers so be it fine I want to get what I want doesn't matter who gets in the way Abimelech killed all of his half-brothers on his father's side with the help of his half-brothers and uncles on his mother's side. Talk about a messed up family. And this all comes from what? Polygamy. I'm not making any excuses for Abimelech. He he made choices. But this is rooted in polygamy. Gideon's own sons are reaping the consequences of his promiscuity. Guys, if we think that we can sleep around and it's not going to have an impact you're wrong. If you think you can commit adultery and it's not going to have an impact, you're wrong. You might say, well, I would never murder my family. You know what? You can murder your marriage. You can destroy your children. Guys, it's not, gals, it's not worth it. Amen? The enemy will tempt you, try to draw you away, and he will never entice you with something that's not tempting because it wouldn't be enticing amen he's not going to tempt me with lima beans i don't like them you know what i mean he's going to draw me away with tri-tip or something like that i mean the point is that the enemy and the bible says you know the the lips of an adulterous woman drip with honey but the path to her house leads to hell it's always enticing to draw you away here's Abimelech; he's murdering his own family in pursuit of my will I want what I want, and I don't care what happens to everyone else. Can I tell you, as a pastor, nothing breaks my heart more than counseling with people where one person's got that attitude. It's heartbreaking. You look across the table and say, look at your wife and your family. Don't you care? Well, you know what? I just wasn't happy, and I just got to fulfill my own. What is is that? Well, I just got to... You know what? Here's the thing, guys, gals. When you do this, It will not end well, I promise you. It will not end well. Those same men will come back two years later and say, I can't figure out why my kids don't want anything to do with me. Gee, I wonder why. Can't imagine. You cheated on their mom. You were abusive to her in the way that you did that. You ran off with some younger woman, and now your kids don't want anything to do with you. I'm surprised they haven't beat you up. You know what I mean? My dad cheats on my mom. I'm smacking him. You know what I mean? I'm a, you know, bag bag of hammers. Now, my dad's not going to do that. But the point I'm making is, can you see what happens? We may say, well, I wouldn't murder anybody to get my way, but mine might destroy my family. might destroy my children. And you know what? Above all of that, destroy my relationship with God. And say, I would rather be with this person. I would rather do this, this drug or this alcohol, or whatever it might be, this thing that I am choosing and making more important than God. Because it's about me being satisfied. By the way, your flesh will never be satisfied. That's the Bible, amen? So no matter how much you feed it, it just grows. So you don't feed your flesh to take care of it. You starve it. Don't feed it. So here's Abimelech wiping out his own family. You know what? Promiscuity does this throughout the Bible. Abraham slept with another woman too. How'd that work out? Hagar had a son named Ishmael. Guess who the descendants of Ishmael are? Everybody in the Middle East trying to kill the descendants of Isaac right now. Thousands of years later because he didn't trust God, wasn't patient, didn't wait upon the Lord, did things his own way, didn't work out too well. Whenever there's promiscuity, whenever we break that marriage vow, there's a heavy price to be paid. You know what? Don't fulfill your desires. Don't be about your will. Be about his will. Because you know what? Your flesh will be satisfied for a second and then you'll need more. But you know what? The satisfaction you find in him will last forever. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And it's better than anything this world has to offer. It says there, but Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left because he hid himself. So Jotham escapes, and God's going to use this guy. There's a reason he escaped. So 70 sons died. One escapes, one of the 70 sons, gets away. We're going to see him in just a moment. Then it says, And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was at Shechem. They went and made Abimelech king. Now what has this guy done to deserve to be king? He's murdered his own family. He's received money from idolatry to... Buy a bunch of thugs to kill his own family, and now they want to make him king. I wonder how this is going to work out, having this guy ruling. What do you think? If you haven't read ahead, you already know. Abimelech, not so good. Why? Because he doesn't have any kind of relationship with God. He's focused on one person, himself, and you got that guy in charge, things aren't going to be good. And that's the man that they made king Abimelech got what his flesh desired. His kingdom was built on idolatry, fleshly desire, and murder, and those who followed him had condoned his actions. And I'm amazed nobody tried to stop him. Who delivered them from the Midianites? Who? Gideon. It was God, but who did he use? Gideon. Whose sons were slaughtered one right after another on the same stone, ritualistically brought out one after another, probably getting their heads lopped off and everybody stood by and watched it happen amazing you know what happens we forget how great god is we forget who's delivered us we so quickly get caught up well if i if i fight against them those guys are pretty big and they might do something so i'm not going to say anything and we can do the same thing when it comes to the lord if we're not careful we can be worried about other people are going to say that we don't stand up and defend our god by the way he doesn't need our defense he's greater than that amen but you know what? He wants to use us to make a stand for him, doesn't he? You know, just this last week, and I don't mean to get political, but I'm going to. This last week, the Pope said, looked up at the sky and said, God, why did you let the Holocaust happen? And like, question God. Like, it was God's fault. I don't like it when people question God, and I, don't, I especially don't like it when people challenge God. I don't like that. And especially someone who's saying he represents God, i sorry game over you start questioning God you're not representing God amen you are not and you know what's interesting is back in those days the pope was had his arm around Hitler where were you when this was happening guys we need to be the ones that step up when people are doing godless things to make a stand for the Lord amen it's where were the Christians should not we have stood up where are we when it comes to abortion should we not stand up amen People slaughtering babies, we should have something to say about it. You guys know I'm the furthest thing in the world from a political guy. I don't believe politics is going to change the world. I believe that the Holy Spirit's got to fall on people for the world to change. Yeah. I need believe people got to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, be born again, filled with the Spirit of living God, and everything will change. You want to see a girl not have an abortion? Have her get saved. Yeah. You want to see someone's life transformed and not struggle with drugs and alcohol anymore? Have them get saved. Not a 12 step program, it's a one step program. Jesus Christ Him crucified and risen from the dead, amen? And here we have a Belmelech, and we have these people following Him in droves, and then nobody stood up when He slaughtered them all, and now this is their king. Now we know, according to Scripture, who's the first king of Israel according to Scripture? Saul. And that still wasn't God's highest, was it? David was God's man, they chose Saul. But God allowed them to choose Saul. God doesn't even recognize this guy as being king because God had nothing to do with it. It was the man that man chose. And we'll see how it works out when man chooses and we don't have God in the program, right? So here's Abimelech. He's got what he's wanted. No one's tried to stop him. And no doubt, again, thought he got away with it. But God's going to deal with these guys in due time. Woe to him, it says in the word, who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Abimelech's oath is king, he's get, he makes this oath as king, he stands there, makes this oath, he breaks two more commandments, because part of the oath was making an oath before God. Who's, well, how blasphemous is this? He's standing there making an oath before God, and he's bearing false witness about how he's going to represent God for the people. So he's broken the 10th commandment, the 1st commandment, the 2nd commandment, the 6th commandment, the 3rd commandment, and the ninth commandment, and the day's not over yet. This is not God's man. This is a man who's self-centered, self-focused. And this is not the man that God wants to use. No matter what he promised, Abimelech had his own agenda and intended to carry it out. He didn't care what he told anybody. He wanted to be king, and he didn't care who got in the way. I want to be happy. I'm just not happy right now. I just want to be happy. And you know, my secretary makes me happy. So I'm going to be happy. Not for long, you're not. Because again, sin is pleasurable for a season. But in the end, the consequences of it are not worth it. And God's going to bring heavy consequences on Abimelech before we get to the end of the chapter next week. He's not the first true king. Now this is interesting that this happens at the pillar of Shechem. You know, in Joshua 24, this is a place where Solomon had placed a copy of the law of God. So he's standing here making this covenant, standing on the word of God but ignoring it. The Word of God's right there, but they didn't t- take time to read it or follow it. Guys, we're living in a country where that's more and more true. Is that right or not? Word of God's right there, but we choose to ignore it. We've got to get it out of the schools. Get it out of the libraries. Get it off of every public thing. We've got to separate church from the state. No, we need to separate sin from the state. Amen? Let's, let's be godly. How about that? America was great because America was good and America was godly and the man who said that said when America ceases to be godly, America will cease to be great. And we're ceasing to be godly. But you know what? That's why we're here, amen? Be salt and light to reach this world that so desperately needs Jesus. So Jacob had buried idols in this spot. Joshua had reconfirmed the commitment to the Lord to put the law of God there and all this was degraded and dishonored by this one selfish act by this man. My kingdom come. Look at the depths of depravity that we've seen in six verses. This guy killing his own family, aligning himself with idols, blaspheming God, all of it so he can get what he wants. Now Jotham's got something to say. This is the one son that got away, and we're going to look at these last 14 verses, at God's divine warning of impending judgment. When we're living a life in the, and according to our own will, God loves us enough to send us warnings of impending judgment. Verse 7. Now when they told Jotham. When they told him what? When they told him the guy that murdered all of his brothers was just made king. How do you think Jotham felt about that? Wait a minute. You mean my stepbrother Abimelech who came up and killed everybody. You guys just made him king? Are you out of your mind? We should, he should be strung up not made king. And so Jotham is going to speak for the Lord. This is the reason I believe he was able to escape. Because God was not done with Jotham yet. And so God's going to use Jotham to speak. And so Jotham is going to, is going to stand when nobody else will. It says, he went and stood on Mount Gerizim. Now remember, I told you at the beginning, this is in like a valley, Shechem. And on each side, there's two mountains, Ebal and Gerizim. Gerizim belonged, one of the tribes that was up there was Joshua, through whom came Manasseh, through whom came Gideon and his sons. And that was the hill of blessing. And on that hill of blessing now stands Jotham, and I believe, I could be wrong, this is a guess on my part, pastor's opinion, okay? I believe he starts shouting at them while they're coronating him as king. They're down there in the valley, he finds out, what? Who are they coronating? And so... Out comes Jotham. He's standing up on the hill and he starts shouting down at them. And look what he has to say. He's making a stand for the Lord. It says there, he stood on Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried out. He's shouting. He's shouting the truth at them. And he's going to tell them a parable. Now interesting, this is the first parable in the Bible. First one. A parable is something that brings a simple truth to light. That's what it is. Jesus loved parables, didn't he? And there are parables throughout the Old Testament. Nathan used a parable when convicting David. Remember the story of the ewe lamb? So there's parables. And he's going to share this parable. And again, he's shouting it down from the mountaintop, I believe personally, while they're coronating this murderer as king over the land. And it says, from as he stands up on this giant pulpit, he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Listen to me. You want to be able to talk to God? Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Then he says, The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, Rain over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said, Should I cease my new wine which cheers both God and men and go sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let my fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. What in the world does this mean? He's going to give an interpretation to it in the following verses. But what happens here, it's interesting. Fig tree olive tree vine in scripture in different parts of scripture is there a people that are represented by all three of these things in different parts of scripture what's the answer who is it israel children of israel a bramble is a thorny bush it's a thorny bush Now it's comical for a thorny bush to say come and come and rest in my shade it's basically a weed A thorny weed. How much shade does a thorny weed cast? None. Especially compared to an olive olive tree. Come and and bask in my shade. You got no shade. You're a thorny weed. Good for nothing but to start fires. So here you have three things that are types or pictures of Israel throughout Scripture. It's also interesting that the three things they produce. Fig trees produce fruit. Vines produce wine. Or grape juice, juice, right? Wine. And then lastly, an olive tree produces oil. In Scripture, all three types, pictures of the Holy Spirit. Right? Putting new wine, you don't put new wine on, wine skins. Right? Oil. Okay, it's amazing to me that here we have those who are filled with the Spirit in a sense or in type. Those who are called by God in a sense or type. Who are saying, I'm just going to be faithful to what God's already called me to do. I don't need to do anything else. They come to them. You come and reign over us. Oh, I I don't need that. God's already called me to do something. I'm going to be faithful right where I am. Those who are called by God are are faithful right where they are. They're content in the center of God's will. They don't need anything more. They don't need to be drawn away. And so the, the olive tree is producing oil. It's a sweet aroma. The fig tree is producing fruit. It's a blessing to God and man. It says in the text, right? The the wine is ministering to people. People are being blessed. They're being faithful. I'll just be faithful right where I am. Then they go to the bramble bush, filled with thorns. Thorns in the Bible a type or picture of what? Sin came into existence when sin came into existence, right? And here we have this thing only good for fire. Who might this be a type of? Satan, or sin, or the world, right? Think about it filled with thorns good for fire this is not somebody who knows God amen and so the point is that they go to the bramble bush and say you be our king because we want a king and if if the people that God has called won't step up and do it then we'll just find somebody to do it because we want what we want and we're going to get it somehow He uses this irony to, again, reveal a deep truth to them. A bramble produces no fruit, provides no shade, is filled with thorns, produces no fragrance, is not fruitful in any way, shape, or form. And they want it to be their king. Is he kind of making a jab at Abimelech? This is the guy you want to be king? He's a thorny weed. He produces no fruit. He's good for nothing but the fire. This is the guy you want. This is the guy you're raising up. The bramble warns that if he is, 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 and let's look at this, he says, the bramble said to the trees, if you anoint me as king, then come and take shelter in my shade. That's a joke, you don't have any. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. He says, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to burn you guys up. Same thing happened when they made Saul king. You remember that? The Lord said, if you raise up a king, he's going to take everything from you, he's going to enslave you, and in the end, you'll be crying out to remove him as king, and they say, give us a king anyway. God, we don't care what you think, we want what we want, we want it. I don't care, I want it. Because you know why? We're finite men, he's infinite God, he knows better than us, amen? And so let's look at the last few verses here, because now he's going to give an interpretation of this, and we'll close with these last from down to 21. Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth, in sincerity, in making Abimelech king. Now he's shouting this from the mountain. still. Hey guys, if you're acting in truth and making him king, if you're being faithful to God, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam, Gideon, and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, he risked his life, he delivered you out of the hand of Midian. If you've acted favorably to the man who delivered you out of bondage, the man who fought for you, the man who risked his life for you, the man who destroyed the enemy, if you've acted faithfully to the Lord's leading, if your conscience is clear before God, rejoice. That's a word for us tonight, guys. How have you done with the one who's delivered you? How are you doing with the one who fought for you? How are you doing with the one who delivered you out of bondage and paid the price for you? If your conscience is clear before Him, Holy Spirit has, uh, you know, is living inside of you. The Lord has cleansed you through His shed blood. You're a new creation in Christ. You're standing right before Him. Rejoice, it says. If that's where you are, rejoice. But if not, look what it says, verse 18. But you have risen against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech the son of his female servant King over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. You chose this man not because he's God's man, but because he's your brother. May we never put family before God. That's not easy all the time, is it? Can I tell you something? The best thing I can do for my wife is be a godly man and honor him. The best thing I can do for my kids is honor God above everything else. And the best thing my wife can do for me is love God more than she loves me. Amen? Amen? And there's a temptation to think that we're being really good if we elevate our kids. No, 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 no. That's a, now, you, now you're turning your kids into idols. Amen? And I love my kids. I'd die for them. I love my kids as much as anybody in this room, if not more, okay? I love my kids. I'm the dad that drives down the road, starts thinking about my kids, and I weep. I'm just like that. I love my, I love my kids so much I can't stand it. But you know what? I love God more. And that's why I love my kids so much. Because it's intimacy with Him. It's that agape love that comes through Him that flows through us, amen? And allows us to love the people around us in a supernatural way. And Abimelech says, you know what? If you've dealt falsely with my, 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 with my father and your heavenly father, ultimately because he's your brother, you've chosen the wrong side. If then you've acted in truth and sincerity with Jerubbaal." and with this house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech, and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem, and from Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. Here's what he's saying. If you guys are not honoring God, if this is not the Lord who's moving, may fire come down and devour all of you. Guys, if you, gals, if we choose to follow after our flesh and our desire and our will, and we don't repent, it's going to end in destruction. It absolutely will. And the truth is that this king they chose was worth nothing more than, he was a thorn bush. He was only good to build fires. No oil, no figs, no wine, only thorns. Fuel for the fire. And they're following him. Guys, who are we following today? The true and living God or the thorn bush? The enemy. Who's the passion of your life? How Every decision you make in life, who's the one who you're seeking His face to know His heart and to know His will? Who's on the throne? You, your flesh, the enemy, or the Lord? There's only room for one. Amen? May the Lord be on the throne of our lives. Last verse. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Be'er and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech his brother. If you've not acted in truth and sincerity, let fire come down from Abimelech and devour Shechem. Let fire come from Shechem and devour Abimelech. Guess what's going to happen in the second half of this chapter? You got any ideas? Word of God's always right. Amen? When a man or woman sinks into the depths of depravity and has no concern for anyone but themselves focuses only on their own immediate gratification, has no thoughts for the potential consequences, says, my kingdom come, my will be done, the end result is going to be brutal. It's going to be tragic. Guys, the Lord loves you enough that when we walk away from Him, He will send us warnings. The Lord warns us of impending judgment. How does He do that today for you and I? In closing, how does He do that for you and I? We have God's roadmap for life. It's in your hand. It's in your lap. 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? God wrote it. And he put it in your hand and it's your roadmap for life. Guys, you want to steer clear of falling away from the Lord? Stay in his word. Secondly, he also gave us an an, an eternal or internal and eternal warning system. Amen? The Holy Spirit. When you were born again, Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And now when you sin, aren't you grieved? What's the answer? I have people say to me, I'm so bummed when I sin. I say, that's good. (laughs) That means you're saved, Amen? amen? We ought to be really bummed. And the more bummed you are, it's good. Because it means that's conviction. And it means you want to stand right before the Lord. May we not fall into the trap of Shechem by placing anyone else on the throne that belongs to the Lord alone. Neither our flesh, my kingdom come, nor any bramble bush, no thorny, weedy promise that promises you shade of protection, but may we instead put our faith in the Lord. You know what else? Lastly, don't trust in any man, guys. Don't have a bramble bush leading you. Don't have a sinful man leading you. That means you can't have any man leading you. That's right. The Lord is the head, Amen. Doesn't mean we don't take leadership as husbands in our homes. What I'm saying is, in some churches, the pastors will tell you what car to drive, who you can date. I got to ask my leader. I got to ask my leader. No, you don't. Yeah, ask your leader. Amen? Ask your leader. Don't ask a man, ask the Lord. Now, godly counsel, good thing. Wisdom in the counsel of many. But we're subject to God, not to man. Amen? Ultimately, He's the one that we follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord and Thy will be done, not ours. Thy kingdom come, not ours. Lord, may we learn from this example how we can so easily get caught up in ourselves, be thinking only of ourselves, our will, our passions, our desires. Lord, destroying the people around us, trying to fulfill the lust of our flesh that will never be satisfied. Lord, I pray we'd be men and women who take Your Word to heart, that we would not take it lightly Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you. Lord, that every decision we make would go through that filter of the Holy Spirit in our lives or through the word of God. Lord, help us to, to love and serve and lay down our lives for others, not strive for the things of this world. Help us, Lord, to be satisfied with the gifts you've given us, not striving for someone else's gift. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. and We do pray for, again, those around us and maybe people here tonight that will live in outside of your will. I thank you, Lord, we can take a million steps away from God and it's only one step back. Lord, may tonight be the night when many take that step back to you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, stand Claus close the worship song.